If you like the Live Wild podcast and enjoy hunting-related apparel, I've got you covered. I just launched some great t-shirts, hats, and sweatshirts under my own Live Wild brand. You can find them now on my website, remywarren.com. I just want to say thanks again, everyone, for all the support, and I really hope you enjoy these designs as much as I do. Who knows? Maybe you'll head over to my website and find your next lucky hat. I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is presented by Mountain Tough and Yeti. I partnered with Mountain Tough because a lot of the tactics and hunt styles I talk about in this podcast require you to be in the best physical shape you can. Their app is designed for hunters to get you ready for the backcountry or any hunt you have planned this fall. Yeti's been a longtime supporter of mine, and they make some of the toughest products out there that are built to last and they're built for the wild. Welcome back to the Live Wild Podcast, everyone. This week is going to be part two of my year in review. Last week on my postseason countdown, I relived my top 10 hunting highlights, the real hero moments of the season. This week, we're flipping the script and looking at the real learning moments of the season. The things that did not pan out as planned, the things I like to call the shoulda, woulda, and couldas of the hunt. The real teachable moments that'll only make me a better hunter. Also this week, I'm going to go over my 12 Days of Christmas giveaway and how you can win some incredible hunting gear. I'll also give the listeners of this podcast a little heads up on how to increase their odds of snagging that grand prize. But before we do that, let's jump into this week's Shoulda, Woulda, and Coulda Countdown. Coming in at number 10, I should have got a better chair. Now, Last week, my top hunt that I talked about was the antelope pronghorn hunt with my wife. We were sitting in a blind, and I have to preface this by saying, first of all, I'm not great at sitting, and I've, I've said that before, and there's a few reasons for that. Uh, one, I, the patience factor, but I think that, I don't know, for me, hiking in the mountains day in and day out is actually a lot easier than sitting for a hunt, whether it's a tree stand, whether it's a ground blind, whatever it is, the, the mental factor of sitting, the all the factors of it, it actually makes it more difficult. I think that that's why a lot of Western hunters kind of uh, scoff at the sitting because it's actually hard for us and it's difficult and we don't like the fact that it's difficult. So we're kind of like, oh yeah, I, I you know, oh, sitting and waiting, hmm, that's... No, no, I like to hike the mountains, but it's actually it's actually easier uh, in some ways. There's just a, a certain aspect of sitting that I, I admire people that can do it regularly. And there's a lot of little things within sitting that, if you do right, make the experience a lot more enjoyable. So when we set up this blind, uh, we didn't have a lot of options on where we could put it. We were hunting, and the, the antelope buck they were chasing was coming into this guzzler. And so it was on a hill, like a steep hill. It was actually probably more like, it just wasn't classic pronghorn country. It was actually on a mountain. So it was fairly steep. And our only option was really to put the blind really close so we could shoot between the rails of the guzzler. So it was like 13 yards from the water. And because it was on a slope, 
you know, the way that the blind opened, like there was only one place that we could put it and it wasn't ideal. And so in thinking about, oh yeah, we're going to be sitting here. I grabbed one of those tripod stools that probably everybody's used. And so a little tripod stool is, I don't know, it's like this small little stool. It's got three legs and it's uncomfortable to sit at, sit in <laughs> on flat ground, let alone on a hill. So for the the long day of August, it, it was hot in the blind. I'm sitting and balancing on this chair because I didn't want to miss anything coming in or, you know, just paying attention the whole time. Balancing on this chair using essentially my core strength to stay upright. And I don't know, man, I felt more wore out after two days of sitting in that tripod chair than probably the hardest hunt of hiking and backpacking I could do. So I should have got a better chair. And I, I think that, that most people that sit and hunt, they're like, yep, get comfortable, right? You're like, yeah, I, sh I should make this comfortable. Instead, I just made it uh, very uncomfortable for myself. So uh, anybody that's going to do any kind of blind hunting or what have you, man, comfortable chairs are easy to come by. Don't use those little tripod stools on a hill that's not the best option. So I would say that was definitely a learning lesson for me. I knew better, but I didn't uh, heed that advice. And next time, I'm just going to invest in a better chair. Number nine, I could have shot a nice four-point mule deer buck if I would have seen the doe earlier. This is classic, classic hunting mistake 101, right? You move in and you got to be paying attention to all the other animals there. So on uh, early archery mule deer hunt, um, I've actually got the video of this hunt is going live today. And when we talk about the 12 days of Christmas giveaway, I'm going to be giving away a made with meat grinder, the, the double grind, one horsepower double grind, and a chamber vac sealer, two of my favorite things. But we'll talk about that later. Anyways, I'm saying that to say that you can watch this portion of the hunt on that video that is going out on my YouTube channel today. So what ends up happening is I spot a buck and he has a doe with him. This is early August. Like the doe, it's not a rut thing. They're just, they just happen to be in the same zone. And then they bed down and the doe's above him. He's lower. Everything looks good. So I plan my stock. And as I'm moving in, I always am constantly looking out for the other deer. Uh, the buck is where I last left him. And I, I look to where the doe is and do not see the doe, but that's not surprising because the sage is tall enough and I wouldn't expect to be able to see her from where I was. Now, as I'm moving up, I'm continually looking, but the doe wasn't in sight and I looked everywhere just to make sure she didn't move. So I did everything right up until the point when the buck actually fell asleep and now I'm locked in on the buck. And what had happened was somehow, some way, the doe had moved around and was coming down the draw on the side. The buck is asleep and I'm like, this is a perfect opportunity to get close. But as I'm moving in, uh, fairly quick and swift, I would say, I'm focused in on the buck. Out of the corner of my eye, the doe pops out just as I'm moving forward. Like we saw each other at the same time. She froze, I froze, and now she makes that noise. At this point, 
the buck's still asleep, but I know that at some point that doe is either going to run or alert that deer. So now I'm pinned down at this spot that I feel like was a little too far of a range for my mouth tab. It wasn't anything that I hadn't shot and practiced and know that I could hit, but unfortunately what had happened was I drew back now at this point thinking I knew that the doe was going to get the buck up. But the buck was not up yet. So he's looking at the doe, and I'm like, this is going to be my opportunity. I'm already at full draw. I just settled in on the bedded buck and released the arrow. And the buck jumped up and ran off, and I pull up my binos to look, and I'm like, I must have hit him, right? Like, that was too perfect. And I looked, and the arrow didn't even touch him. So the buck ends up running off, and I go investigate. And my arrow is, like, perfectly in the bed where the deer was, like, right lined up with his vitals and everything. And I actually looked at, back at the video, and it was just – sometimes this happens so fast your brain can't even compute it. But essentially what had happened was because the buck was alerted, he'd heard the bow go off and jumped the string and was out of the bed before the arrow even got to him. So my arrow was where it should have been, but the buck wasn't there any longer. And, you know, I, I could have shot that buck had I just been paying a little more attention. I think I would have caught that doe sooner and would have been able to get down, wait for her to move past the spot where I was at, and then continue to move in. That sleeping buck wasn't going anywhere. It was a really good opportunity to get super close, and it was a nice four-point mule deer buck. So that kind of ate at me for a little bit. Fortunately, I made good on it. Uh, you can watch the video. I ended up actually getting, it was a three by three, but uh, I think a better, mature, more mature buck. But at the end of that day, I was pretty bummed at the way that that worked out. So had I just been paying more attention, which is something that I always think about, it would have panned out a little bit different. Number eight, I would have killed a giant mouflon if I would have waited longer. This is... You know, when you're in the moment and you think something, but things maybe, who knows, right? It doesn't matter why you do what you do, but so when you don't do it and then the right option shows what you should have done, you immediately kick yourself. I, I actually told this story earlier when I was talking about the move on hunt, but in, in an actual podcast earlier. But anyways, I'm going to recap this and the part that the, the real learning lesson here, right? So the biggest ram that I saw the entire trip and would have been the biggest ram. I mean, I ended up killing the biggest ram I ever killed. And the ram that I'm talking about dwarfed the ram that I shot. It was just like a, a giant mouflon. So saw him on the ridge. They go out and I bumped a deer on my way over there and it bumped the sheep. But... I never really spooked the sheep. So this buck runs out. I was actually dropping my pack. So I'm dropping my pack to go stalk this ram. And within, I don't know, on the other side of the rock from where I'm at is a sleeping axis deer. And the deer just blows out. Like it was probably, I don't know, six feet away from me, maybe eight feet away from me. I don't know. It was close. And so it blows out and goes not toward the sheep, but the other way. And so that, you know, so I sneak up to where the sheep were and they aren't there. I'm like, okay, dang it, where did they go? So I continue to walk in the direction that I assumed that they would go. And it's pretty open, uh, but there's all these little guts and gullies. And I'm slowly like working my way, doing all the right stuff, glassing under every little bush, just making sure. And so I get to this point and I sit down 
and I, there's these trees right in front of me. I don't know. They're like 30 yards away or something, maybe even less, 25 yards, something like that. And I thought I heard the noise of a sheep as I was like walking up there. So I, that's kind of why I went to this spot. I'm like sitting there forever and I'm glassing and there's actually a little dip behind the tree that I didn't see. So what it was was the tree. I was like glassing under the tree and, and all this stuff. And what had happened was they just passed that tree and were bedded in the shade of like the little, let's call it like almost like a dry wash. So I was sitting there for a while, but in my head I thought, I should just sit here for a little bit longer and make sure nothing happens. Because I, I could have swore that I heard that like sound of a, of a sheep. And so I, I kind of got in my head and thought, nah, it's, it's probably further away. They're, they've definitely blown out, whatever. And one of the things that I always tell myself is you can't, like, you have to simultaneously assume two things. Always assume that they're there and always assume that they're gone. So you're, you're going in looking like they're gone, like where are they at? But also assuming that when you get to the point where you think they are, they're probably still there. And there's been a couple times that this has happened to me. Primarily with mule deer, this happens, especially early season mule deer when you're stalking a bedded buck. And you think, oh, the buck's gone. I don't see it. I'm pretty close. Nothing happened. He must have blown out when I was stalking in. And then you do something stupid or careless, and the buck was just laying there the whole time. Same thing happened. I'm sitting there, nothing. I'm glassing. I could have maybe got a couple different angles or just continue. I was sitting there for a while, like, there was a reason I was sitting there for a while thinking maybe something is still here. You just kind of have to go with that instinct. And then I just started to back out. When I got about 100 yards away, I don't know what happened, but they ended up, they were right, bedded right where I was sitting. And they blew out and ran off and dropped down. Now I ended up, I think it was within that same group, the ram that I shot, but the bigger one I didn't know was in there. So they ended up blowing over the ridge and I ended up circling around and spotting the ram that I ended up killing. But had I just sat there a little bit longer, then I would have had a good shot at an absolute giant. Number seven is one that I think about quite often. And I should have waited for a closer shot on a pronghorn. Last week I talked about that kind of addiction of chasing those perfect shots. And one of the things about bow hunting is, you know, you, you strive and you practice and you always want to make that really good shot. And I would say that this season, I probably made more really good shots than any other year in the past. And I was shooting with the mouth tab, right? But I did make one bad shot and that was on a pronghorn. And I feel like I... I got in some ways overconfident, right? I had a lot of success at varying yardages and I'd really like waited for that right opportunity. And I was hunting and I had a lot of really good opportunities that I kind of passed up waiting for that better opportunity. And then it just kind of came down to the wire. And I don't, I'm not saying like I let my morals slip because it was still a good shot but for me I, I I kind of felt like it was like all of a sudden the stock didn't work I'd passed up an opportunity just right before that then the buck kind of went off I circled around and then the buck started moving up toward me well when he popped up he'd now seen me 
but was kind of looking for his does as well. So he wasn't super on edge or anything, but I was already at full draw. And by already being at full draw, I was like, okay, he's slightly cord. I can put it right here and it's going to be a good shot. I felt good about it. And I don't know if I maybe just like the, the factor of the situation, whatever it is, I made a bad shot. I hit back and hit, I, I didn't hit his vitals. I mean, it was a fatal shot but it was a bad shot. I hit him and he, he ran a little ways. I had to make a, a recover a second shot, which I did fairly quickly. Uh, I would say I had to like kind of stock back in on him. I, I don't even know. I just shot him again at like 50 yards or something. And the first shot was only 35 yards, but he was moving in a way that I could have got a closer shot and I could have got a better shot had I just been a little more patient. But I just told myself that this was going to be my shot. I don't know, and and then just, you know, I don't know what happened. Um, maybe I had a bad grip on the bow. Maybe I was a little torqued in my body position, and I just pulled it you know, six or eight inches right, and it was a bad shot. And so luckily I was able to make a good follow-up shot, put him down pretty quick, and whatever. But making that bad shot really kind of weighed on me. It was like that's not the way that I wanted this particular encounter to end up. And so for me, I think that that was, you know, I did really good all season, like always to strive and make those really good shots. But sometimes when you're hunting, you make a bad shot. And I, and I tried to analyze it afterwards. And I think that in some ways I thought it was just one of those instances where it was a bad shot and it wasn't the worst shot ever, but it was a pretty bad shot. And I should have just waited for it to move closer because it was moving my direction. I was already at full draw and it wasn't really aware of my presence. I just had stopped and started to look and I just was, I kind of was like running out of time at full draw essentially. So maybe if I hadn't drawn already, but that was the best time to draw, I could have got that better shot and just waited for him to start to pass me and then got a good quartering away shot. But it was because it was slightly quartered too, maybe it, it just made it also like not as good of an opportunity. So that is one of the things that I think about a lot. And I think that I'll take that into the next season. And, and, you know, those kind of mistakes also always make you strive to be better, no matter what it is, rifle hunting, bow hunting. There are those, if you hunt long enough, you're going to have shots that don't pan out exactly how you think they should have, right? That's just part of it. And that's the truth of it, but it's what we do after the shot. So I think that on the flip side, I did some good things. I followed up, I put him down really quick, but the initial shot, the initial like, man, that didn't work out how I wanted it to was, was quite a bummer. All right. We're going to go with number six. I should have been ready. So I had a deer tag, a white tailed deer tag, and it was a mountain hunt. And is an area that I hunted last season and took me, I don't know, I hunted it for like a week. I saw maybe three deer. And for some stupid reason, I decided to get that same tag again this year. It was a pretty tough hunt. Um, but I ended up shooting like a, a decent mountain buck. And so, it was, you know, public land hunt, shot a good whitetail, very low density. You know, like, like I said, you, you'll hunt all week. And I think, yeah, I hunted entire week and I think I saw three deer. And that was hunting hard. So I got the same tag this year. And 
the way that the guiding season worked out and everything, I literally only had one day to hunt it. And it wasn't even, I, I wouldn't even necessarily call it a full day. I had like one day and I'm, I was like, well, I've got the tag. If I go, I'll have a chance, right? And so I took a buddy with me and there's so much snow. And so I just decided, well, I'm going to go walk out to a couple of the places where I'd seen deer. Well, I'd, where I'd seen a couple of the deer the year prior and so I, I go out there and I right off the bat spot a doe bedded and she's bedded like in the shade because it's actually a pretty sunny day but there's a lot of snow I'd say like knee deep snow and she's bedded in the shady side like I don't know two and a half miles away so I said all right I'm gonna go over there so we just in case there's a buck so I start working our way over there a lot of deadfall it's just taking forever and I cut a set of buck tracks. Okay, game changer here. We're now going to follow these buck tracks. So we start following the buck tracks. They drop down and then they come back up. And they wrap around the hill and I see they start to meander. And that tells me every sign of this buck's going to start to bed. And not only that, but it's on the same hill orientation as that doe is bedded, but maybe like half a mile this side of it on the direction that I was going. So I'm walking through pretty thick cover. And my thought is I should load up, put the safety on gun in hand, be moving quiet and just be ready because that's how I would. And I don't know why I didn't, I don't know. I <laughs> just like one of those things like, Oh, I'll have time. So I, I come up and I, I'm doing my thing. I'm glassing. And sure enough, I look over and there's a nice white tailed buck standing there broadside at like 60 yards. And so I, I look back and the guy that was with me was still walking, but he didn't see me and I was trying to get him to stop like, whoa, stop, which shouldn't even matter, right? Because I should have just popped the gun up and shot the deer. So instead of that, I'm like trying to get him to stop. And then I take the gun off and, and by the time I do that, it's just too late. Like the deer saw my movement. I gave away my position. I don't even know if I could have done it any different unless I'd just been ready. And I knew that I should have been more ready when I was moving in and saw all the indications that that buck was going to be right there. And sure enough, the buck's there. He runs off. And that was the end of that. I had an opportunity. It was a bummer for me because I put in a lot of time the year before. I only had one day to make good. And I and when you don't have a lot of time to hunt, you can't make stupid mistakes. And I made a stupid mistake because I knew that that buck was going to be bedded there. And I found him and he was bedded there. And I had that shot opportunity and I just wasn't ready to take it. And I'm not saying, you know, be unsafe. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying that I should have been ready because I knew better. And that kind of, ah, to me, it was just a bummer because I could have had that deer, but I just didn't listen to myself in many ways i think most of these times where you go something didn't work out because you don't listen to what you know you need to do and that happens to me still all the time it doesn't happen as much as it used to but it happens you know in the course of hunting the entire season you know you're gonna run i still run into these things that i think about and I go, okay i should have done that different if i would have done this this would have happened i, I could have done this and found this success and that's where the shoulda woulda couldas come from all right number five 
This happened while I was guiding, but my hunter could have shot a big bull elk if he would have listened to his guide. Now, this is, you know, whatever, but uh, it was a really good opportunity. And I spotted this herd of elk. We made a perfect stock, and we had to make it. It's general area elk hunting, right? Like anything can happen. You got you to gotta make your moves when you got your moves. So we bump up around, and we circle around. We hustled to get there. Everything is perfect. And then I think somebody from down below, I heard a shot, but it sounded like they were shooting from a long ways away. I don't know if somebody else was stalking or whatever. Here come the elk, like single file over into the canyon before we get to where they were. So we're like one ridge this side of it. And they pop over and they're like bunched up. And then they drop into the canyon. And like, this is absolutely perfect. Couldn't have worked out any better. So we run down and there's this one like little rock. And I start to see a cow pop out. We get down. He gets set up. Like, he's laying prone. We have, like, this little flat spot. Or maybe he might. He actually was maybe sitting with shooting sticks. But either way, he's set up perfect, super steady. And the elk are, like, filing out, not running, just walking and stopping at 100 yards, not even looking our direction. Everything's perfect. And they kind of – so the way the hill is, right, it's like a, a draw to our right. And I could see the elk like stacking up in the draw and then they're coming out single file, 100 yards, good backstop. You get any shot you want. So I go, okay, wait. The big bull is going to come out. I just watched him drop into the bottom, right? So I just said, okay, the bull's coming out. Just wait. Wait until I tell you to shoot. And I want you to just line up on these cows because they're all following, they're all going to follow each other single file. Just get ready, be ready, and just wait. Okay, no, don't shoot, just wait. So he's, the elk start funneling through one at a time, and I'm like, I'm looking over here at the big bull, and I'm just waiting for him to pop up. Okay, okay, just wait, wait, boom, and he shoots. And I'm like, dude, what did you just shoot? Bull ran off. I'm like, what did you even shoot at? Because I'm not looking at these elk blows. I mean, I looked at them with my eyes. But there ended up being a barely legal bull. It was legal. But it was barely legal. And there was like a really big bull that was about, I don't know, 45 seconds from stepping out. So he ended up getting out. I mean, it all worked out in the end because he went home with meat. He was successful. But the big bull got away. So instead of shooting the big bull, he got the little bull that stepped out. It had brow tines. And he shot it. But had he just waited maybe a minute longer, we would have had a shot at the big bull at close range and would have been awesome so that's one of the things you know sometimes you can listen to the guide (laughs) but he's like oh i didn't know there was a bigger bull coming and i was like i didn't know there was a small bull standing there because i'd seen it with my eyes but i wasn't even interested in glassing it or anything or you know just a small bull okay we've got this big bull coming up here right at the back it's all we have to do is let a few more cows walk by and they were just the lead cow is now feeding you know it's like so so perfect, a perfect setup. But hey, you know, he still punched the tag. It worked out fine, uh, but the big bull got away. All right, number four. I'd say I should have made more summer sausage because I would have had some left. I know that's not a uh, hunting thing, but I made two batches of summer sausage this year. And both times I said to myself, I should double whatever I'm going to make. You know, I got the meat to do it. And I just, I don't know why I didn't. But if you decide to make summer sausage or, hey, I've got 
that meat grinder uh, available to win. It's really good for making summer sausage. And I gave one away on the live podcast a couple weeks back. Uh, I was talking about giving another one away. Well, this year I decided to make a bunch of summer sausage and a bunch goes fast, man, because it's easy to give away. Everybody likes it and it takes some time. You know, you got you to invest a little bit of time into it. So when you got all the stuff out, just make way more than you think. I thought, oh, this will be plenty. Um, I can't even remember how many pounds I made, but it wasn't enough. I should have tripled it because by the end of archery season, I was already out. And then beginning of rifle season, I made some more and now I'm already out. And I thought going into the holiday season, this will be great. I can give some away as gifts. Now I got to make another batch, which I should have just done it all at once. And I keep thinking about that every time I look at the grinder because I think, man, I could have just done it all at once and had enough to go through the season and into Christmas, maybe a little bit for spring bear season. Now I'm going to be making my third batch of summer sausage this year, which isn't that big of a deal. But every time I'm like, man, I wish I had more. And I don't know if there is a limit. When you're making summer sausage, I'm not sure. Or snack sticks. Snack sticks are the same thing, man. I don't know if you can make enough, right? Jerky. Can you make enough jerky? I don't really know. I eat a lot of it and I've never found the perfect amount. So maybe there isn't a, uh, a right recipe for the amount that you should make. Maybe you don't like summer sausage like I like it, but I, I make, I cook it like for every day for breakfast. I don't know how healthy that is, but it's good. Okay. Yeah. But I was thinking about that this year. I was like, I should have just done a giant batch and I'm going to think about that next year because when it's time to make summer sausage on this last one, I'm definitely going to have enough to last through to at least the beginning of archery season. So that's just one of the, my personal notes that I made for myself is just make, if you're going to make something, if I'm going to make jerky, if I've got the meat to do it, I'm just going to do a lot of it um, because you're already in it. You're already making it. You're already got all the stuff out. You're already going through the paces. Just overdo it. That's my word of advice. That's some life lesson to live by, I guess. All right, we're going to jump into number three. If I would have not thought about the shot so much, I definitely would have had a good pronghorn with my recurve shooting the mouth tab recurve. That would have been really cool. What happened was I ended up deciding to hunt uh, with the recurve, and I've been shooting it enough to feel confident that I can hunt with it but the range on it was very 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 close so I said I gotta be sub 20 yards I gotta be 20 yards or less and my point on for shooting it was 20 yards and I shot it maybe out to 30 yards but I didn't want to hunt anything with it at that distance it was like just the draws shorter the the heavy arrow there's just a pretty big drop normally with the bow that i was shooting it, my point on is like 40 yards when i'm normally shooting it so it was half the distance for that the way that i shoot so either way i find the best antelope buck i saw all season and it's bedded by himself on the top of this ridge with the wind like he's bedded facing into the wind and i've got this really good approach up the draw below him I mean, it is absolutely perfect. He was actually bedded facing the way that I was going to approach, got up as I'm like moving my way in and re-bedded facing away. It was just 
absolutely perfect. So picture perfect stock. I creep in there and I'm actually a lot closer than I thought I'd get. I was like 15 yards or 14 yards, something like that. I took my shoes off. I mean, I was like 30 yards and I took my shoes off and just crept in all the way. And I've got it set up where he's got this bush behind his head. I'll be able to draw when he stands up. And as soon as he stands up, I've got just full vitals right there. And while I'm standing there, it's one of those where I just got to wait for him to stand up. And I don't know if it's just I overanalyzed what I was going to do and I told myself what I was going to do while sitting there instead of just, I don't even know how to explain it, but instead of just making the shot how I need to make the shot. So I'm standing there and I'm like, I'm close. Okay, what am I going to do? Well, I'm just, I just wanted to have a point of aim. So I just decided I'm just going to put the point on where I shot 15 yards plenty of times and I just did it instinctually. It was just, I didn't think about aiming. I just shot and hit the bullseye and it was easy. And that's the way that I like to shoot the traditional bow. But instead I just decided I'm going to just point on so I have a point of reference. So I for sure am not just, instinctive shooting because it's a kind of a newer way of shooting the recurve for me with the mouth tab. So I've got the mouth tab on the recurve or the yeah recurve bow. And so I just, while I'm sitting there for, I don't even know how long I was standing there waiting for him to stand, say half an hour. I just decided I'm just going to go point on and the buck stands up and I do exactly what I tell myself I'm going to do. And I shoot right over his back. Two things happen. First, the bow was loud enough. He did jump the string. And second, the point on was just a little too high. And I kind of told myself to aim low, but I just instinctively just put it where I wanted to hit. So I aimed a little too high. The buck jumped a little bit and the arrow just went right over his back. Had I just instinctively shot how I would have anyways, instead of sat there and analyzed it for 30 minutes and told myself exactly what I was going to do and then followed through with that plan, I definitely believe that I would have had I did antelope buck. Or had I done the point on and just aimed low, like I don't know why I didn't tell myself to do that, um, I also would have had that that buck. So I think sometimes you get into these situations where you've got too much dang time and you just analyze yourself into doing something that you probably shouldn't do because you've got time to think about it. When I think about, if I, I'm the type of hunter, right? If I go up, if I'm hunting chucker and I think about how I'm going to swing on the chucker and the lead I'm going to give him and this, that, and the other thing, I am absolutely 100% of the time going to miss that chucker or duck or whatever. But if I just go, I'm going to shoot the bird when it gets up pretty much nine times out of 10, I do. Um, because I know how to shoot a shotgun. I know how to swing a shotgun. If I start to think about it, I slow the whole process down and I completely mess it up. So I just have to shoot how I know how to shoot. The way that I shoot a recurve and a compound bow is completely different. But I like to instinctively shoot. And for some reason, I just thought, oh, with the mouth tab. And I instinctively shoot to a point, and then I use the point on. I got my own little system, and it works for me. And I'm not going to coach anyone on my system because it's probably a terrible system. But anyways, it works for me. And I somehow just talked myself into a different situation And it didn't work out. And I'm not really surprised because when I was sitting there thinking about it and analyzing it for 30 minutes, 
I, I was like, nah, you should just do what you know how to do. Just shoot the freaking antelope when he stands up. And instead I had this whole plan and the whole plan immediately went to shit. So that is one of the things that that shot, like for some reason just sticks in my mind. I'm thinking about it right now. It's just a very, very vivid memory of in many ways a failure. And in many ways it was just pretty cool to be that close, but I don't know. It would have been a very cool thing to spot and stalk a pronghorn and get it with a, a recurve mouth tab. It was just pretty cool. So I had that opportunity and in the, right at the end, it messed it up. So didn't work out. All right. Number two, kind of similar to number three, but I should have aimed lower on an axis deer. This was one of the coolest stocks I've had all season. And one of the best comparative trophies, I would say, like the best animal I was stalking for the species. It would have been the biggest axis deer I've ever taken. And it was in an area that was like public land hunting, um, which is pretty rare opportunity to get a big buck and just be where, you know, so it is a fairly highly pressured area. And I didn't expect to see a buck like this. And I see the buck and I'm like, oh my gosh, this thing is an absolute hammer. I need to make this. I just gave myself a talk. Like, you're going to do everything it takes to get this buck. Like, don't mess anything up. So the, I'm watching the buck, and I'm just watching him. And my plan is originally I'm going to do like an ambush sequence, right, where he's moving, and then I'm just going to get ahead of him and, and kind of intersect him because it's pretty open country. And so he's moving, and then I'm watching him, and he beds down. And this is just... I'm essentially freaking out in my head going, oh, this deer is so dead. Like he doesn't, this is perfect. He beds down and there's like a little ravine up behind him, even though it's open. And there's this one like pretty decent sized rock. So he's bedded and I go full sneaky mode, just shoes off, just crawling, bow on my back, just army crawling up there ranging the rock and cutting the distance of like, okay, I, I know that I got, if I get to that rock, I'm going to be 30 yards. So I crawl in or I'm going to be like, yeah, I think I was 35 yards. So I crawl up to the rock and just lay there. And I don't want to like, he's, he's actually kind of bedded facing me, but the rock blocks my view and I can see his antlers above it. So my plan is I'm just going to do like I should do. It doesn't matter how long it takes. I'm just going to lay there and wait for that right opportunity. I'm going to wait for him to stand up. I'm going to wait for the perfect shot. I arrange everything around him. Everything is good. And I tell myself, he's probably going to jump the string like Axis deer do. This is, a, this is a deer that has survived some arrows, okay? Like this deer is 100% going to jump the string. And I knew that, which is fine because I'm going to aim low. So I set my pin for when he stands up and everything's good. And then this doe and fawn like start walking up a trail and I realize they're like walking up the trail toward this buck and I think, okay, this is pretty good. He's going to get up like these deer are going to get him up. And so, and I look and the trail is pretty much at my feet that they're on. So they, they disappear out of sight. I'm like, oh man, they're going to see me and blow this buck out. This is not good. But I just decide, okay, I'm just going to be patient, see what happens. And I just lay there. And the doe and fawn pop up maybe 10 feet away. 
like on that trail and continue to walk and I don't spook them. And the process of them dropping down in front of the buck and then coming up, the buck saw him and is now interested in the doe and fawn. And I'm thinking absolutely perfect. The buck pops up. He drops down out of sight behind the rock in front of me. I draw back and now he's walking out at what I assume is 20 yards, which it was. My pin was set for 30, so I aim low, which was good, but I, it was essentially like what would be a, a heart shot. I didn't want, I, I was thinking my, it was fairly quick, but I was thinking in my head, I don't want to aim below the buck because I, it's just so hard to aim off an animal, right? You release it, they don't jump, you completely miss. So I'm aiming low, but not super, like it, you know, I had it set for 30, he's 20, so I'm aiming low for 20 to compensate for the 30. So essentially, when I really think about it, I was probably aiming top of his heart, what would be 20 yards, which isn't bad. But I knew he was going to jump. And so I'm trying to get him to stop. So I, eh, 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 while biting on the mouth to have, and he stops, but he doesn't even look at me. He's looking toward the does. And I, this is absolutely perfect everything is right big buck i drop my jaw release that arrow and that buck jumped the string so bad that he hit the ground like actually hit the dirt and started rolling down the mountain like almost like he'd been shot with a rifle and he gets up and just looks around now he's like behind some stuff at like 50 yards and then just continues to walk off like doesn't run nothing just the sound i don't know so a couple things happened right i grunted to try to stop him but he never looked at me and so i just thought okay he's on alert his ears were forward he's pinned on those deer okay maybe i should have just shot him while he was walking or not grunted or just waited for him to stop or waited for him to get five feet away from me on the trail that the does came in i don't know uh, I also, I mean, in order to hit that buck, I would have probably had to be aiming at his hooves. So I would have had to be aiming really low. But it didn't work out. And I'd never seen a deer drop, jump the string like that. And I immediately realized why that buck was alive. And I think, like, if I would have aimed at his feet, I would have killed the buck. Or, I mean, even lower, I probably would have accidentally spined the buck. Um if I'd aimed below his belly line, but I mean, I don't know. It's just one of those things. Like I knew he was going to jump. I didn't know a deer could jump like that. I don't know what I would do in the future. Maybe I would just, maybe I could play that scenario 400 times over and have it not work out 400 times. I really don't know, but I do think about it a lot. And it was a really cool experience. I mean, at the end of the day, there's a reason that deer was alive. Like, I just don't think he was touchable by an arrow. He, that was the most matrix move ever. I really wish, I guess that my only regret in that is I didn't, I wasn't filming it. I wish I had a GoPro on or a, my camera rolling or, or something because it was, it would have been the most incredible thing you've ever seen. Like I still remember to this day, I can only, well, obviously to this day, it was only <laughs> a couple months ago, but I mean, it just seems like it was, 
happening now. Like the the memory is so vivid. It was just incredible that that deer ducked that and it, the way he was like rolling down the mountain at first. I I actually oh yeah I actually had time to reload an arrow before the buck got his feet under him. That's how hard he hit the dirt on the steep slope and then just started tumbling down. I'd never seen. I was like almost thinking like I knew I actually saw the arrow did not hit him, but had I not seen that I would have thought that I had killed him. It was just like not even close. That's how fast he jumped at. But really cool experience. Uh, just didn't work out. And yeah, I guess I should aim lower. Really low. All right. We are down to our number one shoulda, woulda, coulda. And I'm going to say I should have never tried to catch that duck that tore all the tendons in my wrist. <laughs> because, you know, some things you think about and you go, that was just stupid. And if you didn't hear this story before, I was duck hunting with a buddy. It wasn't this year, but it was, I guess, the fruit of my stupidity was this year. Just shot a mallard that was, I don't know, full, going, just going full flight, full as fast as it could go. Probably 40 feet up, something like that. Just stoned it. And it came flying down toward me and, and my... First thought was, bet I could catch this duck. Reached my hand up to try to catch a falling bird that was going 30 miles an hour from 40 feet up. It'd be like somebody standing on uh, top of a building saying, hey, catch this brick. And you're like, yeah, that sounds like a really good idea. And so I tried to do that, and my fingers essentially went to my forearm. And that didn't work. It, I didn't, and not only that, I didn't catch the duck. I probably would have caught the duck. See, there's another, another woulda. Uh, if I, I was wearing neoprene gloves, it was super cold out, and my fingers weren't together. I bet if I could have had my hand together without the glove, I think I could have nabbed it right. Um, I was trying to grab it by the neck, but it just didn't work out. The gloves, had, my fingers were separated, and that just led to a lot of complications, which led to an entire year of not being able to shoot my bow or use my hand, two surgeries, and a lot of uh, therapy, and still pretty much not a lot of movement in the wrist. I got a little bit right now, but hey, at least it's strong enough to shoot a bow. And uh, yeah, should have never done that. Stupid. And that, if you learn anything, is um, you can take that one to the bank, because a lot of people think, I mean, I've thought about that long and hard. Like, oh, yeah, that would be cool. Catch that duck. I'm sure it's fine with teal that aren't, that aren't super uh, high up. Or doves, quail, go for it. You know, let me know. But a, uh, a big late season mallard, I'd say uh, just let her fly by, you know. Let it hit the water. <laughs> I think uh, you'll save yourself a lot of, a lot of pain and suffering throughout the next rest of the season. I hope you guys enjoyed those countdowns. I know I really enjoyed going through that, thinking about the season, what went right, what went wrong, and what we can learn from there. It's a really good way to continually improve by just analyzing the things that, hey man, I did this and that worked out, and I did this and it didn't work out. I should have done this. I could have done that. If I would have done this, it would have worked out. And then hopefully in the long run, right, over the course of however many years, those become fewer and the success stories become more prevalent. So I hope you guys really enjoyed those. Now, as promised, I also want to talk about 12 Day of Christmas giveaway. If you know me, if you follow 
this podcast, you know that I really enjoy giving stuff away to you guys. And thank you guys for the support. If you're on my email list, I try to give away pretty much something almost every email. That's what I use it for. And so this year I had this idea of I wanted to do a really big giveaway. And I wanted to make it something where, well, if you, I know a lot of people, maybe you don't live in the U.S., you live in Canada or somewhere else. You can win as long as I can legally send whatever the prize is. You can get it wherever you're at. And if not, you can just receive it. And if you can figure out a way to receive it in the U.S. and take care of it from there, great. So I'm doing 12-day Christmas giveaway. Each day is a different prize, and it's a really good prize. So yesterday was the first day. It was a Stone Glacier Sky 5900 and Chilkoot 15-degree sleeping bag. Today is a one-horsepower grinder and a chamber vac sealer from Meet Your Maker. Uh, each day has a different prize. So the way this is going to work is every day, I'm kind of making it like a scavenger hunt of sorts. Because if I just do an email sign-up, it's fairly easy. And a lot of people are in, and the odds are really bad. But if I do it this way, the odds are better because what we're going to do is we're going to do 12 days of giveaways. Each day has its own winner for whatever the prize is. Then on Christmas day, this is going to be really fun. I'm going to randomly draw one of the 11 days. So if it was day, let's say it's day 10, I'll draw day 10 and then I'll go to day 10 and draw a winner from day 10. And the winner on Christmas day is going to get all of the prizes from all 12 days. So I'll just do a quick run through of some of the prizes, just so you know. I just kind of wanted to do this as a thank you guys for the support. You know, I feel very fortunate to get to work with a lot of these companies. And so to be able to get this stuff for you guys was a lot of fun for me. And I, and thanks to all these companies for doing this. They really asked for nothing in return, but I just wanted to, you know, talk about all the prizes because there's some pretty cool stuff available. So I talked about day one, Stone Glacier Pack. Day two was the meat package. Day three, so tomorrow, is going to be a Matthews Phase 4, brand new Matthews bow. Day four is a pair of Schnee's pack boots, or you can just kind of, you're actually going to get a gift card for the value of the pack boots, so you could choose different boots if you want. So a pair of Schnee's boots. Day five, MagView adapter for the binoculars and the spotting scope. Day six is going to be a Vortex Diamondback HD 2000 rangefinder and a $100 gift card for apparel. Day seven is going to be a package from Wilderness Athletes. It's going to have Hydrate and Recover, Energy Bars, uh, Packout Bars, a box of Heroes, and some swag, as well as a $200 gift card. So that's a really awesome prize. Then day eight is going to be a Brio Outpost Grill. It's one of those you can like pound the steak in and cook over your fire over a grill. It's, it's awesome for your, your base camp. Number nine, we've got our forthcoming Live Wild seasoning pack, as well as one of those Live Wild Gerber custom knives. It's got my signature on the back. It's a pretty sweet knife. It's my favorite knife. Um, so that's going to be available. It's actually a fairly expensive knife as well, because it's made in America, all high quality parts, really good steel. So pretty high quality knife. Number 10 is going to be a package from Yeti. It's going to include a tan panga and a yonder bottle. Day 11 is going to be a full first light kit. So you'll get a kiln hoodie, a Klamath pullover, Brooks Down 
jacket, Catalyst soft shell jacket, Corgit foundry pants, and a kiln zip off long johns. That's the entire kit. That's those are my favorite picks. So that's really cool. And then back to day 12, we're going to pick one of those other days and then a winner from one of those other days. So as a note, you can find kind of the roadmap. I'm going to be doing, it's, uh, I called it like a scavenger hunt of sorts, but I wanted to make sure I explained it on the podcast because I feel like the people that listen to the podcast are going to be the ones that, you know, have the best opportunity to win it because you're going to kind of get the insight on it. Whereas I think on social media, you miss a lot of stuff, right? So it's going to be kind of the only way that I could think of doing it is between Instagram and YouTube. So there'll be each day, it'll be kind of be like a, what I'm quoting a task, right? Um, so it might be like comment on this particular video is pretty much the way that we figured out to do it. And so if you go to my website, remywarren.com, you can find the little roadmap on what to do each day. That's all up right now. So you could go do all those things for what's available. There's a couple of videos that we're going to be releasing that might not be out yet. But so if you've missed a day as well, this is where I was saying earlier, I'm giving my listeners the inside track, right? On Christmas day, I'm picking one from those days. So if you missed one of those days, it doesn't matter. As long as you get them done before the last day, you're still in for that grand prize. So you missed out on maybe winning it that day, but you're still in for the grand prize. And if you win the day, it doesn't matter. It's all going to be essentially random. You could win the grand prize as well. So best of luck to everyone. I'm really excited about this. It's going to be a lot of fun. Also, from now on, when I do giveaways... I'll, you know, I'll have the winner announced in some way. You're going to get, uh, if you are the winner, the message will come directly from my channel. And then on my Instagram stories the next day, so the following day after, I'll announce the winner. So if you don't, if you see something that says you're the winner, don't trust it until you can verify that it's either from me, right? Or you see your name on the thing. Because now when you say that there's going to be a giveaway, there's about 100 people that make fake accounts and try to, tell people they won and they won all kinds of information. You aren't going to submit any money. You aren't paying for any shipping. I'm covering all that myself out of pocket. So if you live in Canada and I'm shipping it to you, I'm not going to ask you for your credit card and your mother's maiden name or any of that crap, okay? I'm just going to tell you you won. I'm going to get your address and I'm going to send you your prize if it's legal to send to you. If it's not, then we'll figure something out, okay? That's between us. Okay, so that is going on right now. If you want to check that out, like I said, the roadmap to it will be on my website. Also, each day on social media, I'll announce kind of what you can do for that day. But the easiest way is just going to be go to the website, figure it out, try to make sure you're in all these things. Some of you may, like if you watch the YouTube videos and follow the stuff, then you're probably doing it anyways. All you got to do is drop a comment or uh, one of them, you got to tag a person, whatever. Every day is a little bit different, but I tried to make it kind of a combination of skill and luck, right? You got to do the tasks and then to weed out just the people that want to do it easy, go the hard way, not the easy way. And we'll be giving away some incredible prizes, some of my favorite gear, some, I think some of the best gear out there. So I'm really excited about this. I hope you guys enjoy it. Merry Christmas. Coming up, we've got next week, I love this time of year because I think there's some good some good retrospective stuff and then just some fun things to talk about. Next week, my annual Christmas special. You won't want to miss that. 
And then followed up by the week after that, we're going to be going into some incredible things you can do to get yourself ready for next hunting season. And then starting in January, we're going to start kicking off a lot of that, just focusing on prep and okay, tag application planning, all that stuff getting ready for the season because there's a lot of tag draws and things coming out. So we're going to start just building this out and helping make you better ready for the hunting season and better ready for success. If you guys have things you want to see in the podcast, feel free, as always, shoot me a message on Instagram. And also, please drop comments, ratings, whatever you can on where the podcast is posted, wherever you listen. I appreciate that as well. Until next week, let's just say shoulda, woulda, coulda. Catch you later.